How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me slash growth. That's hbs.me slash growth. You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day welcome to locked on bucks i'm eric name joining me as always is my good friend frank madden frank how are you doing tonight Uh, i'm doing fine eric it's monday which normally isn't that interesting but um today ended up being more interesting than i think many of us assumed even though we did know it was spencer haas player option opt-in decision day um which unfortunately has a bigger much bigger impact than we would like on the bucks cap situation but obviously there are a number of other things going on tonight including i guess on the plus side the nba award show which actually came up with with far more bucks related highlights than maybe not expected because i think we knew obviously that that Giannis and malcolm brogdon were going to play prominent roles but um I, I don't know in the grand scheme of things you know first nba award show the Bucks got a lot of run tonight, and that, that was kind of cool. And obviously, there was some other news tonight, which uh, is is maybe more interesting than cool. Um, but yeah, lots to cover today. All right, let's start with Spencer Hawes opt-in. That was the least surprising thing I heard today. Um, not at all shocking. Definitely exactly what we thought was going to happen. Um, and like I said last night, it was appropriate you called it Spencer Hawes opt-in day and not Spencer Hawes decision day because that's exactly what it was going to be. There, I can't imagine there would be a market for him better than $6 million next year. And I think we probably knew that from the moment the Bucks traded for him. Uh, <laughs> or you know what I mean? Like, I don't think we, yeah. there was really ever an illusion that, oh, yeah, he's really going to crush it here at the end of the season and find a way to opt out and and make himself some money here. So, um, again, seemed like it was going to happen and it did. Um, any other Spencer Hollis thoughts? No, I mean this, you know, we, I tweeted out over the weekend, just this cap graphic with, which showed, you know, Hawes, um, I, I put in my little waterfall of, uh, of, salary going up I, I put Haas before Snell because obviously we we knew we were going to find out how Haas before and we assumed that he would take the player option and again not just um Spencer Haas necessarily having a market but just obviously the big man market getting let's say less and less uh lucrative uh by the day seemingly with uh an NBA finals where centers barely played not that that's you know a bellwether of what the entire league is going to be like all the time but um certainly teams looking less interested in centers and then some of the 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 moves we've seen Dwight Howard getting dumped for Miles Plumlee I mean what does that even mean what does that even say about centers being just useless to everyone apparently and then hearing that the cap was going to be lower than expected as well further kind of crimping um teams flexibility so um, I think certainly this is the profit maximizing option for Spencer Hawes. And um, now obviously a big question is, you know, how does this fit into a Tony Snell resigning? And I think we both would agree that uh, Spencer Hawes decision was not going to make the Bucks not want to resign Tony Snell, even if it does take them very close and quite likely over the luxury tax by a smidge. Um, 
but it, it does offer kind of another complication. And we'll see what happens with Spencer Hawes, right? I mean, you've got John Henson, who's an obvious trade piece. You've got Greg Monroe, who is tradable since he's opted in. I don't think Spencer Hawes is particularly tradable. Um, but we'll see what happens. I'm sure the Bucks will be very open to exploring options. And um, if they can't find a different way to to figure something out, then, you know, at some point you may also see Spencer Hawes stretched, which is, uh, again, a form of waiving where you spread out the the dollar value of his salary over multiple years and which could get the Bucks by spreading that six million over three years. You could net about a four million dollar benefit from a uh, basically a tax breathing room perspective this year you'd still have to pay it over time but um but we'll see what happens and, and obviously over the next you know couple of weeks i'm sure we'll know a lot more about what the bucks are trying to do and i guess we'll see if they can pull anything off i think one thing that's important to note and it was something you mentioned on twitter as well is that the bucks can go all the way over that that tax limit to sign Tony Snell. And that was kind of the thing we were talking about before where it's like, well, that's not really going to have an effect on whether or not they have or keep Tony Snell. It, it's still going to be totally fine and they can still uh, sign him and keep him, but they would at some point, if they go over, have to get under. And again, you mentioned this as well. That's something that they can do later in the season. That's not something that in two days or in how many ever days let's see four four days five days whenever uh tony snell ends up resigning like that's not something they have to do at that moment that's something that they can do later on in the year right exactly i mean the the tax your, your tax basically eligibility or, or you know whether you're above or below the luxury tax is determined by where your what your salaries are at the end of the season so um again if you trade a player at the trade deadline um and take back less salary um, you, that's, you know, frequently a way that you can at the last minute kind of shed some salary and, um, you know, stretching guys a little different cause I, and I'd have to double check the exact rules, but I think, you know, over the course of a season, the amount, um, that you can save declines cause you're obviously paying the guy over the course of the season. But in terms of trade, yeah, I mean, if you do a lopsided trade where you, you know, again, send out, um, more money than you take back in, then you do net a benefit there in terms of, um, you know, bringing your, your tax number down. And, and so there are lots of teams that, that do make moves during the season, but, Keep in mind as well, when teams are when other teams know that you are trying to get under the tax, they know that there's a lot of value in doing that. Um, again, if you are over the tax, you're not getting um, some of that tax money kicked back to you among the teams that don't pay the tax. Um, and there's obviously other restrictions. And, you know, if you do it multiple years or other penalties, things like that. So um, there's a lot of incentive, you know, especially to not be just barely over the tax. If you're the, you know, warriors or the Cavs and you're going to blow over the, the, you know, blow through the tax level and have an awesome team that's a contender. Yeah, sure. Whatever. You pay the tax because, you know, your owner's rich and who cares. But um, when you're a team that, you know, again, has lots of salary like the Bucks, which is, um, you know, not exactly great ROI, um, then then you want to be a lot more careful. And um, you got to be, you know, I think strike strike at the right moment because you also don't want to wait really long and then you know be taken advantage of right because you have to attach an asset to uh to to make a deal that gets you under the tax so um so hopefully they can do something sooner rather than later obviously teams you know if there is anybody out there who's interested in a john henson or you know a mirza Toledovich might be a better case you know a team like the wolves Nate Duncan threw them out um, a week ago. They were a team I was thinking about as well. Um, you know, Minnesota has cap space. I don't think they're going to want to go absorb a bunch of, you know, Toledovich salary immediately. Um, but, you know, in a couple weeks, if they maybe don't get a stretch four that they like and they maybe have some cap room, um, maybe they have some other way of, of making a deal. Uh, 
Nemanja Bielica is, I think, out for a while still with a, a broken foot and a uh, navicular bone fracture, which is maybe the worst kind, same that Embiid had. You know, maybe a team like that would be interested in a stretch for like Mirza. Maybe you can shed some salary that way. But um, again, this is uh, this is uh, the challenge that John Horst and company are now facing, and um, that's going to be one of the main things to manage here is is that luxury tax issue. And uh, you know, we'll see the final tax. Uh, luxury tax and salary cap numbers here soon but again all indications are it'll be around 99 million for the salary cap 119 for the luxury tax and um you know again especially if the bucks want to keep 15 guys um which would include sterling brown and gary payton um that would put them probably closer to about 120 um if they had 14 guys they could probably be right around that number if they uh, if they get snell for you know something in the order of 10 11 million dollars per year but uh but yeah it's it is getting very tight okay uh let's move on to the other things that occurred today uh this evening we heard Malcolm Brogdon rookie of the year Giannis Antetokounmpo most improved player um i would say both kind of just ran away with with those awards, especially Giannis. Giannis, uh, the voting wasn't particularly close for most improved. Um, I was thinking Jokic was going to make a, a bit better push, but uh, in the end, you see Giannis with 428 total points in the voting, uh, and he gets 80 first place votes. Jokic gets just 14, uh, so not not close at all. Um, and I guess kind of another instance where I was. Uh, again, I, every time this happens, I say I'm surprised, so maybe I should stop being surprised by it. But where uh, another situation where there was a vote held and Giannis did very, very well in it. Um, and I, I think it's just, again, another example of how well he's regarded around the league. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we, we kind of, I think, realized... Um we learned our lesson, I guess, uh, around all-star time when, you know, I was skeptical that, that he could get a popular vote, <laughs> that he would get screwed somehow in a popular vote and, and nothing like that happened. Um, you know, we, the, the league got smart on Giannis very quickly. Obviously people have been aware of him and kind of marveled at some of the things he can do physically for a while, but, um, the league did not take long or the public did not take long. I think the media did not take long to figure out that this guy is really special. And, and obviously one of the, the, you know, if not the, uh, best young player in the game, certainly one of the handful greatest young players in the game. And, um, you know, at just 22, uh, I mean, what more can you say about him? I think this is three straight years. I think he finished, I want to say seventh in most improved three years ago or two years ago, third in most improved last year. And now he's first this year. And when you're kind of making those kinds of leaps, three straight years, you're going to come out on the other end of that pretty in a pretty incredible place. And, and obviously hopefully that, you know, this is still just the beginning for Giannis. So, um, an awesome, well-deserved honor for Giannis. I, I was personally not that surprised. I mean, I think first couple months, I think he basically locked this award up, you know, Jokic had a slow start. And so I, I think that, you know, kind of took the, the hype machine into overdrive for Giannis and kind of won the award for him. So no surprise here. Um, but Malcolm Brogdon, I, I was a little more surprised. I actually was shocked. I, I didn't realize that the odds, I think the odds towards the end of the season were favoring Dario Saric, who to me was the least deserving of of the three finalists. I thought, you know, you either go for just the obvious best player who, you know, was injured a lot, Joel Embiid, clearly the, the best rookie, um, or you go with Brogdon, who, you know, again, his advanced metrics, I mean, his raw stats were, were a little less than um, Saric's. But again, Saric, you know, playing on a bad team for the most part, 
Um, you know, he put up numbers, kind of hollow stats. His advanced metrics were bad. Uh, Brogdon was, were clearly better across the board. Um, you know, I think Malcolm, if, if you were going to go for like, you know, if you were not going to go for Embiid based on him miss, you know, pl- playing too few games, right, only 31 games, then I think Brogdon was the obvious choice, especially playing on a winning team where, you know, he obviously played a, a major role. I mean, he, he had some m- huge games down the stretch as well. And, and maybe those uh, like that Boston game, some of those other performances, you know, we might look back on those and say those kind of helped clinch the award for him. But uh, pretty awesome to see Malcolm up there, obviously you know, tremendous guy and, and you have to be happy for him, uh, personally as well. Getting to be the first guy up at the first NBA award show is, is a pretty cool thing. So, um, again, I'm not sure how many more NBA awards Malcolm Brogdon is going to be winning. That's obviously a big question. I think for the bucks moving forward is just how good Malcolm Brogdon can be. Is he, you know, this is sort of what he is. Can he, can he improve a lot? Can he improve a little, but, um, you know, certainly it's a night to celebrate him and, um, certainly the kind of person he is. You, you have to be proud of him as a bucks fan. Brogdon in the, in the voting gets, 414 total points second was Sarge with 266 third was Embiid with 177 first place votes Brogdon gets 64 Sarge with 13 and Embiid with 23 uh, first place votes so um I would say I was thinking maybe there'd be a few more people that were very much excited about Joel Embiid and voting for him and getting him the rookie of the year. But I would say that there, I, we talked about it months ago and then probably weeks ago. And uh, anytime we've talked about it, kind of thinking about is there a threshold for how many games you have to play in a year? Is it just making sure that we don't look back someday and think, oh, that rookie of the year is a guy that didn't deserve it. We should have given it to Embiid, who is clearly on the star path, the guy that could be a, a great player someday. And I think all those questions kind of got pushed away, and everyone just decided that Brogdon was the best rookie. He made the the best impact over all those years over the entire year rather than just in those 31 games, I think, that Embiid plays. So, yep. Uh, again, maybe not a huge surprise, but uh, still, I, I guess part of it is always just being uh, a Bucks fan and thinking, well, are the Bucks? is this Bucks player going to get the attention they deserve and always just kind of having that, that idea that, oh, no, they're going to get screwed over or they're not going to get the attention and uh, people aren't going to think about them. So I, I think there's in all this a little bit of that um so it was interesting to see both of them win uh let's rewind to the middle of the day when we found out that Giannis was second team all defense and that was something I had written about at ESPN Milwaukee a couple months ago and something that I had kind of I personally thought that he was a guy that was deserving of that honor but with that award it's it's recognition based it's it's if i recognize your name and i know you and i voted for you before you're probably going to have a leg up as i try to decide who i want to vote for again because you just get a reputation and you're a great defender and you keep going and you keep getting those awards and then you kind of rack up a, a ton of those uh so it was kind of interesting to see Giannis at 22 get that recognition but I, I was talking to my uh, good friend Pratik Patel about it, and I was like, did, did Giannis just lock up 10 all-defensive nods? <laughs> like, just because it, that award, 
or I guess those teams to me are just so reputation based that once you you get one, you have an automatic leg up on your competition kind of the rest of the way. Yeah, and I think, you know, and I don't think, you know, I actually was a little surprised here. I thought, um, you know, some other folks might beat him out. And important to note here, too, I mean, there was a lot of outrage over Avery Bradley not making one of the all-defensive teams. Um, and it is, the, the, the positions do matter in the all-defensive team, so it's not just, you know, the top 10 vote-getters total. Um, so I, th- I think Avery Bradley might have actually had more points than, than Giannis maybe even. But again, you know, it's it's the, the competition at the positions matter. And... Um, you know, I, I kind of wondered if if maybe Paul Millsap might might nip nip Giannis to that award, especially Millsap playing on a much better Hawks defense and having a, a good defensive reputation. Um, and again, honestly, I don't watch enough Paul Millsap to tell you that Paul Millsap should or shouldn't have gotten the you know that spot, for instance, over Giannis. Um, I think Zach Lowe, or I think I want to say Zach Lowe and and Nate Duncan both had Millsap ahead of Giannis. So you know, again, those guys watch these guys more than I do, and I know they're not biased against Giannis or anything like that. So um, you know, I would not have been <laughs> offended as a Bucks fan if if Giannis didn't get that spot. But I mean, clearly, from an impact perspective, um, you know, the numbers are obviously there, right? I mean, the the stocks, right? I think he led the league. Did he lead the league in? in I think he led the league in, in stocks this year, steals yep. plus blocks. Um, obviously, you know, it, it, defense we know now is about more than numbers, but um, but clearly he had big numbers there. Obviously, defensive rebounding he contributes as well. And um, you know, I, I think I think uh, our friend Brett Abramchik, I think it was Brett that wrote an article about Giannis's transition defense um, a while back, and um, you, you know, it's it's one of those things that is not really measured in a statistic. So he does all these things statistically, but when Giannis is one of the guys back, people don't go to the rim and transition. <laughs> like I can't, t- you know, you just think about all the times you can think of a guy, <laughs> just a bad decision. Not doing yeah. It. Just, just think of all the guys you can think of this season who were dribbling down the court, but Giannis was running along with them and inevitably they peel it back out. Cause they know that his quickness, his length, his shot blocking. I mean, he's just so hard to to challenge in the open court i mean the number of chase down blocks he had um were you know is is like every every five or six games he does something incredible and um, always makes me a little worried that he's going to hurt himself at some point but um but yeah i mean again i think the biggest knock on Giannis's defense was the bucks defense right and the fact that the bucks were not an above average defense which we've bemoaned at length and uh, more to come uh, this fall when we preview the next season, but um, but yeah, I mean, I think certainly from an individual standpoint, um, you know, I think we finally saw Giannis sort of harness all that talent and physical tools that uh, that we know he has, and it was pretty amazing to see what he could do defensively, and, and obviously we hope this is just sort of the the start of of bigger and better things uh, defensively for Giannis, and as you said. Once you get locked into that all defensive conversation, um, it, uh, it it tends to be pretty sticky. Um, there is a lot of competition, though, right? Because arguably the two, you know, two of the top three best defenders, at least maybe the top two defenders in the league, Kawhi Leonard and Draymond Green, are also forwards. So it may be hard to uh, to snag one of those first team spots, but um, hopefully at least Giannis has got the uh, the second team uh, on lock here for for the foreseeable future, and hopefully he'll continue to deserve that as he did this year. You mentioned Paul Millsap, uh, thirty five points for Mal- for Paul Millsap as well. Giannis had thirty five total points. Um, I believe the tiebreaker there is first team votes. Yeah, not 100 percent on that, but uh, Giannis gets seven first team votes, and Paul Millsap, Paul Millsap did not have any 
first team votes. Uh, so that that kind of catapulted him there. And yeah, like you said, uh, Giannis was outscored by Avery Bradley, by Clay Thompson, by John Wall. Um, so those three were all above him, but uh, how they do all defensive is two forwards, two guards, a center on each of those teams. Uh, so he ends up getting the forward nod, and despite being tied with Paul Millsap, gets the tiebreaker for uh, those first-team votes. So um, it it's going to be interesting to see. Like you said, the big thing was that, hey, this, this is a guy that wasn't on a great defensive team, and... It, it's really tough to do um, when your team isn't great defensively. Um, I, I think when I was doing my research, I found that only nine players have made an all-defensive team with their team ranked uh, 21st or lower in defensive rating. I'm trying to think where the Bucks ended up. They might have snuck in front of that by the end of it. No. I'm trying I thought to, they were like 19th, I, I want to say. I, I think they just... snuck just out of it, but uh, I, I think they're, that... They're... They were 19th by um, by basketball references methodology. It may have been slightly different on like NBA.com just because they use different pace metrics, but right around there for sure. So either way, like it is rare for a guy to make an all-defensive team while his team is not great defensively. You normally see top guys on top 10 defenses make all-defensive teams, and uh, that was not the Bucks' defense <laughs> this year. They were not that. So um, kind of a cool honor for him, and yeah, it'll it's going to be fun to see how many now that he can rack up because uh, I think there's a good chance with the way that he plays, with the numbers that he can put up, that there's a good chance that he goes out there and racks a bunch of these up. Like it, it just seems to me, it seems to me that he'll have the award, he'll start to have that reputation, and the chase down blocks aren't going anywhere the the high numbers of blocks and steals probably aren't going anywhere either like the, this is going to be something that he could continue to build on from year to year so uh we'll see where that goes uh final bit of news of the night uh gary wolfel uh reported tonight that the milwaukee bucks have decided to move on from billy mckinney the bucks a uh, longtime director of scouting, and Chris Gilmartin, the team's director of pro scouting. Uh, we've been able to confirm both of those moves. Uh, those, and uh, I guess, I, I guess to me, I, I know some people will uh, freak out about it, but I'm actually surprised this doesn't happen sooner. Uh, just because you have a new general manager, um, I, I would have thought there would have been. Uh, guys leaving right away heading over to to help out john hammond in his draft and obviously maybe that's a little bit different situation since jeff weltman's kind of uh or jeff weltman is above john hammond there so maybe it's more jeff weltman guys but i think they would have very similar guys if that makes any sense um so the bucks do move on from those two um just any thoughts on that when when you heard the news well i mean i think it just underscores the the degree of uncertainty that you move forward with anytime you, you have a big change in terms of the front office. Right. And, um, you know, again, we're, we're looking at the last decade of, of bucks basketball and obviously, uh, John Hammond, Billy McKinney, uh, to some extent, John horse, we're, we're all parts of that. And, um, you know, I think the, the natural confusion, obviously when you're in a position like this is trying to figure out, well, you know, uh, the bucks made some good draft picks, 
so that might be bad that you're losing Billy McKinney, right? It seems like people generally felt like Billy McKinney was, you know, an asset to the organization, part of some of the good decisions being made. Certainly John Hammond more polarizing, but again, people like John Hammond will kind of take a similar tack probably and say, well, you know, he drafted Giannis, he traded for, for Chris Middleton, got, you know, basically salvaged Brandon Jennings. Um, but again, it's, it's tough because like the last decade of the Bucks has been nothing special, you know, and the scary, but the <laughs> scary part is like, the scary part is like, well, are you getting rid of the guys who were part of making it much better than it could have been? Or are you guy getting rid of guys who were, you know, part of decisions that weren't great, you know? And, and, and that's, what's so hard to try to parse here at this point. Right. I mean, we, we kind of done this, this merry-go-round with John horse as well. Right. It's like, well, okay. We, John horse seems like a sharp guy. He's, you know, was, has been sort of the, the guy who's known the cap well for the bucks. Like, well, the Bucks haven't always made good cap moves. Does that mean John Horst doesn't know how to like? Isn't very good at that. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, no. you know, it's it's you kind of just spin yourself in circles trying to you know parse blame and and um you know we haven't even talked about Jason Kidd yet. So um so I don't know. It's tough to say. I mean, I don't think there's any way you can say like, oh, this is a this is a really good thing for the Bucks. I mean, whatever. I don't I don't have any knowledge that Billy McKinney was bad at his job you know the, the obviously there were some huge hits for the Bucks in the draft and that was his primary responsibility um I won't pretend to have any idea what what Chris Gilmartin's you know <laughs> role was as director of pro scouting and you know whether whether the Bucks were good at, or bad at that um you know certainly if that's it highly involved in in free agent signings or trades then you maybe say like oh, I, don't, I don't know if that's uh, that's so great but um but you know ultimately Ultimately, it's it's tough, you know. These are these are normal people. John Billy McKinney, I mean, one of John Hammond's best friends. They I think grew up together. Obviously, when John Hammond left, you kind of wondered if Billy McKinney would would be long for the job. Um, and you know, again, whether this was Billy McKinney not wanting to be here in part or the Bucks wanting to move on, it's kind of tough to say. But um, you know, I'm sure if Billy McKinney wants a role in Orlando, hopefully he can find that. Um, and we'll just have to see what happens next. It sounds like the Bucks do have some additional moves in terms of hirings um, lined up for the near future. So we're just going to see what happens with that. And to be honest, when we hear about those, we're just going to be guessing as to whether those are good moves as well, right? Um, ultimately, we're just going to have to judge this front office on on what happens next. And I think people are justified in being a little bit uneasy because some of the familiar faces have left. And some young, unfamiliar faces are, are left over, and now we have to kind of see how it all works out. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a bit uncertain times in Milwaukee right now, and you just have to hope for the best. And obviously, uh, people are going to be, I think, probably pretty divided about whether or not that's a good or bad thing. But we will see. Yeah, uh, front office moves are just always always interesting to me because I I think it always leads to both you and I and and really anyone discussing the topic speaking with much more certainty on the topic than we could ever 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 have because we just see it from the outside we, we we are literally guessing trying to figure out who gets blame for this and who gets credit for that and can I put that credit onto two people? Can I put it onto three people? Uh, can I put the blame on multiple people? How does the decision-making process go? Was there someone that was the lead scout for Tiny Gallon? Was there someone that really took the <laughs> great lead? Tiny, great Tiny Gallon reference. Like, was there someone that really took the lead on Malcolm Brogdon? Like, how do I attempt to parse all this out? And the answer is you don't. Like, you don't have any idea. 
you're you're not in those rooms you you don't know uh who 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 was a who was a billy mckinney guy uh and, and who was, was it job was it job <laughs> you know what i mean like it's just really really difficult to try to figure these things out um and again it just leads to us talking as though we know something for sure when when in reality we don't. So um, has that ever has that ever stopped us before? <laughs> no, absolutely not. Uh, we will continue to do that. Uh, We've got a daily podcast to film, <laughs> man. Come on, uh, absolutely. So um, I think the greater point you made though does kind of speak to what you'd expect and what you'd be thinking right now. Like this, as a Bucks fan, you should be, uh, I guess, kind of in a spot where you are a little uneasy because there is a massive change going on in the organization. And again, maybe with the continuity of John Horst being the guy that becomes the GM, maybe the changes aren't quite as massive, um, but there's there's going to be changes, and there's going to be people that leave, and I'm sure there's going to be people that are added in the coming weeks. So uh, you're just going to kind of see that organization remain in flux, and uh, I mean, that's what happens when the when a general manager changes. And I think the the reason for even maybe increased uneasiness is kind of how we saw how things went down in the last month. It was a sloppy process. It was kind of a, a time where the organization didn't look the best. So as you're seeing more of this kind of unravel, I think the obvious reaction is to be like, oh, God. When will this end? But I guess it's it's going to continue for a little bit yet because they'll have to fill these roles and figure things out, and uh, you're going to have to kind of see how this all shakes out in the coming weeks. So um, it, it'll be interesting. It'll be something to continue to keep an eye on. But like I said earlier, it's not something that I think any of us can really speak on with any certainty. Yeah, I mean, I, I think at this point, it's only fair if you've watched, you know, the last month or so. It's only fair if you're a Bucks fan to be skeptical, right, of, of decisions being made, right? For I mean, that, sure. that's fair, right? Absolutely. Um, but, you know, by the same token, it's like, you know, trying to bury Horst or whoever for things that we don't really understand about what's going on, like, you know, McKinney leaving. Like, for all we know, Bill McKinney just was like, I don't really want to be here anymore, so fire me, right? I mean... <laughs> it's kind of one of those hard things right and and i and i think again understandably um you know i think a lot of people are gonna say man i thought billy mckinney probably was part of some of the good moves right with the draft and things like that and that's fair right and and clearly he he must have had some good impact and we'll just have to see what happens next you know and again um i'm I'm i won't pretend to understand the full dynamics of it um but uh yeah we can be we can be skeptical but I'm also I'm going to try to be skeptical without being overly cynical, if that makes sense. And yeah. I love to I love to be cynical. I'm damn good at being cynical. I'm, my, with my a, Twitter as a fan, yes, absolutely. Yeah. We were born to be cynical. We were, <laughs> we're, we're ra- or maybe we're more like it. We're raised to be cynical, yeah. being Bucks fans. I mean, there's um, a good nature nurture argument to be had. There, yeah, yeah, we have to. Yeah, I mean, we have to kind of you know survive, right? And I think our cynicism keeps us alive. But um, I don't know. I mean, cynicism for cynicism's sake. Um, you know, I think we'll see that. You know, I, I'm sure a lot of people will, will, you know, at this point look for any reason to kind of bury the organization. And, um, you know, I think 
certainly, especially, you know, certain cor- corners of ownership should realize that that that's self-inflicted. <laughs> like they, they, they yeah. brought a lot of that on themselves. Um, I, and, I think they're mobs are going to mob. Like if mob, you're a mob, mob. you're going to mob, but ownership could have done a lot better job of, I guess, keeping that mob at bay in the last month if things were handled, handled better. Right. Right. If you throw a mob, a bunch of, you know, pitchforks and unlit torches, you can't be angry when they find some fire, you know? <laughs> um, so I think that's, you know, kind of, I mean, and again, you know, I, I, ultimately it's, it's a summer, it's a fan base that is restless. Um, there's a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. And, you know, again, it, it's very easy. You want to win over fans, just make good decisions and win games. Very easy, right? Very easy. Uh, and we'll see in free agency, we'll talk about that a lot more this week. What happens next there? Obviously, probably not very many decisions left. <laughs> um, decision, do you re- do you sign Tony Snell for X or Y? And then what do you do around trades and flexibility and can you bring back, you know, some some other asset if uh, if you do kind of free up some some additional money? Um, and by the way, we'll get more into this later this week. I, I don't know if I feel embarrassed to say this, but I don't care. I want Jason Terry back on this team. And I know people are going to say, like, just bring him back as an assistant or something like that because it's cheaper and it doesn't count against your salary cap. and It doesn't count as a roster spot. It is not the same. I still want, I still want Jason same. Terry on this team. It's not as cool when a coach is getting out on the floor. I mean, is Jason Terry going to be running out on the court when he's not in a game when he's a coach? I feel like it won't be the same when Jason Terry as a player is running around on the court when he's not in the game and jumping up on the stanchion. And, you know, I, I don't know. And, and Anyway, we can table this, but... Not that I expect Jason Terry to be a target of any team in the first week of July, but let's just say this. I hope that through trades, movement, maybe a stretch provision on Spencer Haas, that maybe the stars align that at the end of the summer, the 15th roster spot can go to Jason Terry. That I would be happy about that. I We've seen the Bucks every goddamn year they do something decent. They immediately get rid of their veteran glue guys, whether it's you know Scott Williams or Jerry Sackhouse and Kurt Thomas, you know, Zaza and Jared Dudley. It's like, it's like just, it always happens. Oh, the Bucks are, oh, the Bucks had a fun season. You know, they weren't great, but they, oh, the kind of things come together. And they had those glue guys, you know, those veteran guys, screw them, kick them to the curb, <laughs> you know, get younger guys, whatever. And it makes sense. You want to have young guys, you want to build, you know, buy second round picks. I get it. I like that stuff too. But just give me Jason Terry this year. Just give me figure out a way to get Jason Terry. Okay, that's it. I'm done. I'm done. I love now. that. We'll talk. We'll yeah. talk more about Jason Terry. I need Jet in my life. He tangibly makes my my Bucks basketball viewing behavior or uh, experience better. Maybe I don't want Jason Terry playing playing as much as he did. But Jason Terry being on that team, I feel better about it. I feel better about. It. I feel like Giannis will be happier. I feel like people will just be generally <laughs> happy. And if people if people can complain about. Many things about the Jason Kidd era. I feel like at least we can say that Jason Kidd's friendship with Jason Terry did bring us that bit of joy this year of seeing Jet fly around, do his Jet celebration. I mean, good God, the man played way too many minutes and nearly led the Bucks to a comeback in Game <laughs> Six of that playoff series. It made no sense, but God damn it, I enjoyed it. Jason Terry forever. Okay, I like that take, and I'm excited to talk about that take more uh, in the coming days, but. That's going to be it for Locked on Bucks today. For Frank Madden, noted Jason Terry lover, and Eric Name, this has been Locked on Bucks. We will talk to you tomorrow.